I don't want to scare anyone. But I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. Surviving in the wilderness. Full grown by now. Stalking. Stealing what he needs. Living off wild animals and vegetation. Some folks claim they've even seen him. Right in this area. The girl who survived that night at Camp Blood, that... Friday the 13th. She claimed she saw. She disappeared two months later. Vanished. Blood was everywhere. No one knows what happened to her. Legend has it that Jason saw his mother beheaded that night. That he took his revenge. A revenge that he'll continue to seek if anyone ever enters his wilderness again. And by now, I guess you all know, we're the first to return here. Five years, five long years, he's been dormant. And he's hungry. Jason's out there. Watching. Always on the prowl for intruders. Waiting to kill. Waiting to devour. Thirsty for young blood. But you know what I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Welcome once again to Give Us a Second. A mini-sode series. Brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 43rd mini-show, and we are discussing the Friday the 13th franchise. A topic that we've touched upon in different episodes in a couple different ways, I'd say. Yeah, we definitely have a long history with this series behind the scenes That's true. of the podcast. Yeah. I think we should wait to discuss the unpublished episode until we get to that one in the order. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's but fair. needless to say, we did cover Friday the 13th Part 2 as an audio commentary a couple of years ago, and both 
Matt and myself have recently revisited the series. Yes. I, I just finished today. <laughs> yeah, I watched the Crystal Lake Memories, the complete history of Friday the 13th from 2013, which is six hours and 40 minutes long. I just finished it. It's a franchise that is not necessarily tied in with October, but it is a popular horror franchise. I love the movies, even though I don't really think that many of them would qualify yeah. as great, but it is comfort viewing for me. That's true. I put them on all the time and just sort of get sucked into it. Right. Even going through your ratings, not a ton of high ones. No. No. I was being realistic yeah. and fair, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy watching them. Totally. It's weird because I always kind of want Friday the 13th. Like, the way that I picture it and how it feels is the Friday the 13th the video game that existed for, like, Nintendo. The Nintendo one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, none of the movies really feel like that to me. <laughs> okay, so I think most people who like the movies are disappointed with that game. You like the game. Yeah. <laughs> and want the movies to <laughs> more right. yeah. closely resemble that. So what we're going to do is go through the series. We're going to start at the beginning. This is probably going to be an extended mini-show <laughs> in the sense that it could be almost as long as a regular episode or as long. But we are going to cover all 12 of them briefly, and then we are going to give our rankings at the end. Just a shock when you put that out there that they landed on 12, and it's now been over a decade since. It's been like 12 years now. It's been the longest yeah. gap I know, and it's like, Ever. what an iconic number it would be, the next one. Yeah, there are some confusing rights issues, and I definitely think that they've tried. Sure, yeah. Well, hell, I mean, when you go through the history of some of these installments, like the Freddy vs. Jason thing was like kicked around forever, it seems like. Yeah, that was kicked around as early as the 80s, really. Yeah. yeah. It, some of these things seem like they were in play for a while before they got made. Right, but then they would always still make one in the meantime. That's true, And yes. yet... Now there's been this extended gap. Hopefully they figure it out and just keep it going. It's the one horror franchise that I don't think people take seriously enough to get mad at if they just keep coming out with more and more. That's true. Yeah. I think they've hit the wall with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know that there's a, a lot more to explore with Nightmare on Elm Street, considering I only yeah. really like two of them. Although of all the ones that had remakes in the 2000s, I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre one might be my favorite. Like the, Yeah, the reboot. I, I think so too, but they've also yeah. released a bunch since then that haven't really been Definitely, anything. definitely, yeah. But I think people take the originals more seriously. Yes. Whereas with Friday the 13th, there's always sort of a... Campiness. A wink to it because yeah. of the fact that they just had so many of them and they don't make sense and the timeline is weird. So many things feel made up on the fly. Yeah, they just change everything and Jason looks different all the time and different people play him all the time. There's not a lot of attempts at continuity no. within the story. I mean, even when they're like, we're bringing this character back, it's a different actor. I think Joe Bob Briggs in the 90s when they was presenting Halloween 3, made the joke, like, at least Friday the 13th had the decency to make the same movie eight times in That's a row. Right, yeah. And there's something comfortable about that reliability. You know what to expect. The only one that really deviates from that formula out of the first eight is the first one. Yeah. That's the outlier, and it's interesting that that's the original. There's a lot of the time where the Friday the 13th movies don't feel like they're even going for horror. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, throughout Halloween, I understand a lot of weird feelings towards Halloween 3, which we, of course, love and 
for very specific reasons. But outside of that one, they kind of feel like they're going for the same feel. I, I don't know that you really feel that way throughout this series. Yeah, I think that the 80s were a weird time, and Jason and Freddy Krueger became pop culture figures, and they sort of transcended the idea of trying to be scary. And You went to these movies knowing what to expect. That's what you wanted. Yeah. You wanted teens at a camp being right. punished for having sex and doing drugs and yes. having fun. And I think the franchise goes off the rails when they try to change that formula. The worst entries in the series are the later ones when they started doing different stuff, in my opinion. At least. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. So let's get into it. There's a lot to cover. There's 12 films to talk about. We're going to not do full episodes on each one, but we're, <laughs> we're going to go through them. And this will probably close the book on Friday the 13th for us as a podcast. Well, more yeah. on that later. Yeah. I mean, you never want to close the door completely. Never say never, as I like to say. Okay, but yeah. it's unlikely. <laughs> There's so many other things to get to. That's true. I don't know how much interest people have in us talking about these movies. Yeah. They've sort of taken a back seat in the horror lexicon just because it has been 12 years. Right. And people have moved on to other things. Did that Nightmare on Elm Street reboot get a sequel or was it just one? Just one. Okay. Yeah. So similar situation where they were able to kind of... Yeah, which is interesting because both were financial successes. Yeah. But I think the critical reception and the fan reception was negative enough where it sort of threw... No one was like... Cold water on the whole thing. Yearning for it to keep going. Yeah, I think like Rooney Mara did say that she almost quit acting because of it. She hated doing it (laughs) so much. Yeah. That was the nightmare one. I think the people that did the Friday one had more fun, at least according to the Crystal Lake Memories documentary. They definitely, for that remake, which we'll talk about, but they were cool with going for like a fun, goofy vibe, even though it's certainly darker than some of the other later entries, but... Yeah, I don't know. Fun. There is something like more serious about it, though, than I like, know. a lot of the other ones. That is true. They kind of accomplished both. They brought in the same vibes as the Texas Chainsaw one because it's the same director. Right, yeah. And Michael Bay was like was producing involved. it. Yeah. Okay, so the franchise begins as a Halloween ripoff in the year 1980 with the first one being directed by Sean S. Cunningham. And the things that are interesting about the first one is there's two big reveals or yep. jump scares or it's basically memorable like moments. a double twist ending really yeah the first surprise is that the person who's been killing people at this camp is a kindly looking older lady mrs yeah. Voorhees. imagine being murdered by an old woman like, <laughs> i have yeah <laughs> i have imagined I think it. about it often did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. I was working the day that it happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. He was... He wasn't a very good swimmer. We can go now, dear. I think we should wait for Mr. Christie. Oh, that's not necessary. I don't understand. Ah! 
Today is his birthday. Where's Mr. Christie? Oh, I couldn't let them open this place again. Could I? Not after what happened. Oh, my sweet, innocent Jason. My only child. You never paid any attention. Look what you did to him. Look what you did to him. A lot of people think that this is a big deal. This is a big shocking moment. For me, I'm always sort of like, is it though? It's halfway shocking. It's shocking that it's an old woman, yes. But it's a character you never saw before. I often wonder... Is it more iconic now because of what Jason is and how many movies Jason is? The answer is yes, and because of Scream. Yeah. You're reminded in Scream that the killer in Friday the 13th is not Jason, but Mrs. Voorhees. Jason is a little boy who died. Yeah. But they create a dream sequence at the end of the film. Which is awesome, I think. Which is awesome. It's the best jump scare maybe ever. Yeah. Because it's so unexpected and it's weird. It's out of nowhere. It's not like you saw this kid in the movie. The thing that ruins it is that they actually do reveal it's a dream because at this point, you have to think there's no thoughts of this being a franchise. There's no idea of where it's headed. There's nothing. So they're thinking this is still a real movie. Right. So we have to make this make sense. And they're like, well, it has to be a dream, though, because Jason is dead. They were taking it that seriously. Like yeah. They needed logic. They're like... Well, it's a dream, and we have to show that it's a dream because Jason is dead. Mrs. Voorhees is the killer. This is just a fun Carrie-esque ripoff. But once everything else is established with the later films, the ending you want is the jump scare. Don't have her talking to the cops in the hospital later. Right. That ruins it. Just have it end with him jumping out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. And you're walking out of that theater buzzing. Yeah. You're like, holy fuck. Yeah, I know. It's kind of a bummer that they didn't play it that way. Yeah. The inclusion of this final jump scare moment where the deformed Jason as a child leaps out is basically what gives birth to it being a franchise. If they didn't include that jump scare... This is just a one and done? Yeah, it's not that memorable of a movie otherwise. There's nothing that stands out other than Kevin Bacon being in it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just this crazy thing because you're never expecting this kid to be alive and then you're like how is he alive (laughs) has he just been living in the water oh yeah and they talk about that in all of the documentaries and crystal lake memories everything they're like the logic is thrown immediately out the window with part two right there is just no concern for how this makes sense anymore yeah yeah and it proved to be quite effective because these movies came out through paramount pictures at least the first eight they were just a reliable money maker because they didn't cost anything to make and they would always get like a 25 to 30 to 35 million dollar box office for about a million dollar investment it was just guaranteed every year tried and true formula they figured out pretty quickly that the audience was fine if things didn't quite make sense as long as they got what they were coming for and they would up the ante in the sequels there would be more sex and nudity 
there would be more kills. There'd yep. be more blood because that's what the audience was wanting. <laughs> giving, the, giving the people what they want. So Alice, the final girl from part one, who was played by Adrian King, she appears only in the beginning of part two, which we covered on this show as an oh, yeah. audio commentary. Directed by Steve Miner, it came out the very next year in 1981. Yeah, through the first several movies, they do this thing where they repeat the end of the last movie. Alice, the final girl from one, gets killed at the beginning of part two. Then we jump five years in time to make the story of part two, which is the introduction of this insane timeline that... Honestly, if you count up all of the time jumps yeah. in the movies, you might actually get to the year Jason X comes out, or that is supposed <laughs> to be taking place. Jason, if you were going to go back and be like, okay, he does pop out of the water, and that is the same guy now in two. I mean, that's a lot of muscle weight put on in a five-year span. Well, I think the opening sequence of part one is supposed to take place like in the 50s or okay. 60s. So gotcha. it is a dream. Yeah. In part one, because he's not a little kid anymore if he's still alive. Exactly. What part two is presupposing is maybe he didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Because I guess now he's just walking around. Which does bring you to the question of, well, why did his mom have to kill anyone then? Well, she didn't know, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. I know. The first time you see Jason walking in part two as an adult, it's actually a woman. Okay. It's like a stunt woman like wearing boots or something. But yeah- I actually like in the second one how he's just wearing the sack over the head. Yes. And they probably would have stuck with the sack had it not been for the comparisons to the Elephant Man, which they thought would garner laughs. Yeah, They're like, oh, he's like the Elephant Man or something, which came out around the same time. But it is also derivative of the town that dreaded sundown because that's based off of a real story. But they do stick with the sack for part two. It's my favorite final girl, Amy Steele. That's right, yeah. And it ends on another last-second jump scare where the adult Jason jumps through the window at the very end. Yep. It's my favorite bar that they hang out at in any movie. Pretty cool town bar. (laughs) It does seem crazy that all of the counselors aren't already aware of what happened there. Yeah, that's true. It just takes one of them to tell the story, and they're like, okay. Memorable death in that one with the dude in the wheelchair. Yes, which I was stunned to find out on Crystal Lake Memory is an actual stuntman like in the chair. Oh, wow. Where it's like rigged up so it yeah. wouldn't fall over, but he's like actually going down backwards. Oh, okay. And that's not a dummy, I guess, which just seems insane. There are some good practical effects like through these movies. Yeah, I know Tom Savini did the first one and the fourth one, and they got other cool people involved too. But that's like what your attraction is to the movies is the kills. Like, yeah. Do they look cool? Jason never loved anything more than stabbing up through something, like through the back. That's right, yeah. (laughs) It happens a lot throughout (laughs) the series. See, my favorite ways of him killing people is just when he uses his brute strength and just, like, punches through someone. I do love the ones that are a little bit different that just stand out as, like, being a little weirder or just not what he usually does. But, yeah, we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about part two. I do like it. It's probably my second favorite in the franchise but we'll save that stuff for the end but i do i enjoy it i think it's just a well-made sequel it doesn't always seem to get as much love as i would think because like i said i've watched all of these plenty of times and i still think it's one of the better ones yeah it has a good blend of campiness and kind of keeping with the the horror spirit a little bit 
Yeah, I like the cast. Yeah. And the story is pretty simple. You get right down to it pretty quick. All of a sudden, half the counselors are going to that bar <laughs> Yeah, pretty quick. Like, right. you're already there. It, it doesn't waste any time. A, a few of these movies come in at under 90 minutes. I know. It's great. So that brings us to the next year, Friday the 13th Part 3, which was done in 3D. Yeah, myself working through this series, there were some that I had never seen before. It was probably, I don't know, maybe half. Probably a little over half that I had seen before. This one I had, and my memory of it was really bad, and I was kind of going into it being like, this sucks. So rewatching this one, I enjoyed it way more than I was expecting to. I thought I was going to think it was complete trash because that was my memory of it. And there are parts of it that are complete trash, but I had a lot of fun with it. This one was making me laugh a decent amount. I do think that part three is decent. It's old enough to still feel like that vintage camp feel yes and by camp i mean summer camp feel not campy now it's filmed in 3d and they do super dumb intentional things just for that effect yeah in the documentary they're basically saying we had to worry more about getting the things into the 3d camera than we had to about our acting but that almost (laughs) kind of makes it funny and then there's like this whole side angle with this gang of criminals They show up, and I don't know. There's just a lot of hilarious moments in it. I don't feel like these people are necessarily camp counselors. They're just people going to spend a weekend at this cabin by the lake. That's right, yep. Part three was also directed by Steve Miner, who did part two. This is the only time that a director would carry over to do multiple entries in the series, which I definitely think is noticeable because they keep reinventing a lot of stuff from one to the next. Yes, my biggest issue is that all of the girls in the movie are brunettes and they're very similar looking. They're all very cute. I'm I'm just saying that it's hard to tell them apart. And even the final girl doesn't particularly stand out. And sometimes yeah. I forget which one it is. I think that's a fair criticism. And she has a past encounter with Jason. Dana Kimmel is the actress. And she evidently had come to this lake as a younger girl and had some encounter with Jason, which is done in a flashback, which I think is strange strange. because it's not anything like that in any of the other movies. Right. Apparently, according to Crystal Lake Memories, it was going to be much darker with with like Jason either raping her or like attempting to rape her, which is something they never explore in any other entry. Yeah. He is never sexual. Right. And that would have taken things on a different road and i honestly think if they would have went that direction that the franchise would probably would have ended a weird entry to introduce that because i feel like the campiness is turned up in this one yeah there's that goofy guy who brought all the masks and stuff and he tries to be funny yeah, and yeah. he just annoys that other girl sure and this was the first time that it was supposed to be the end they were thinking like yeah. okay we're gonna make this a trilogy and this is the last one when jason gets the axe to his head at the end like that's supposed to be it right I do like the ending. I think it's pretty cool in that barn. But this movie is mostly noteworthy for the 3D and this being the one where he gets the hockey mask finally. So now we have the Jason Voorhees that we all know, the iconic version. It took three movies to get there. I know, which is also weird. Yeah. But it is one of those things. He's not the killer in part one, and he doesn't even get the hockey mask that we all know until part three. But then we have a run of the hockey mask for a while. Which brings us to Friday the 13th, 
the final chapter, released two years later in 1984, directed by Joseph Zito. before you have felt the terror known the madness lived the horror but this is the one you've been screaming for Friday the 13th the final chapter Jason is back he moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry, you change your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the corkscrew? He simply, mindlessly, <laughs> mercilessly, <laughs> kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason's unlucky day. So let's talk about what happened back in August. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time we've fully explained what happened. So we had a friday the 13th on the real life calendar in august of this year just a couple months ago yep and we recorded an audio commentary for the final chapter and when i went to edit it i didn't really think it was good and so we never published it <laughs> <laughs> that's really the end of that story which is weird we have a lost episode we've had countless episodes that weren't good and that hasn't stopped us before right but i could usually edit them but that's i couldn't true. really edit yeah. a lot of this out because it was supposed to match up with the length of the movie. That's and right. It just wasn't great. Even though I do love the final chapter, I think it's like an unbelievable horror sequel. It exceeds basically everything yeah. that came before it. At one point, was it just going to be a thing that every time there was a real Friday the 13th, we'd release an audio commentary? No, because there had been some in between the two that yeah. we've done. That would have been a fun gimmick to have. but Yeah, but it just would have gotten old. Yeah, I don't know that there would have been enough interest. That's right. <laughs> Not that that tends to stop us. <laughs> the best story that I have out of that experience is you let me borrow a giant Friday the 13th box set, which I meant to bring back today but forgot. It's not that giant. It's in a tin. Yeah. Okay. It just has the 12 movies. It's in giant it. to me, someone who doesn't have a large collector's edition of everything that's ever been released. <laughs> but, you know, I was telling Lindsay about what the plan was, and I watched it in preparation to do the audio commentary. Yes. And then I, I left the house to come over to the studio to record the episode. And I get five minutes down the road and Lindsay calls and is like, well, you're not going to be able to do the audio commentary. You left Zach's box set at the house. And I was like, oh, no, don't worry. He's got another Friday the 13th box set. Yeah, I do own two box sets of Friday the 13th. The first one they did on Blu-ray and now the Scream Factory one from a couple years ago. But yeah, this has a quality level that seems to really be lacking in maybe the rest of the series. It's cool, but it feels well done, too. 
there's enough weird stuff in it to make it fun with like Crispin Glover and his dancing. You have Corey Feldman introducing the Tommy Jarvis trilogy, which sort of sets up its own little three movie arc in the middle of all these. Even Tom Savini doing all this weird stuff with the masks. Yeah, the way that Jason gets killed at the end of this is gross and sort of gnarly. It's the best cast, in my opinion, my favorite cast. It's also my favorite version of Jason, which is a little bit controversial. A lot of people like Kane Hodder, who for the most part, was never in any good movies of the Friday the 13th series because he doesn't start until part seven. But he's the one that carries over. He actually plays Jason a bunch of times. And I like Kane Hodder's Jason, but there's something about this version of Jason that I just always loved. I I don't know. Everything about it just is great. There's the best nudity in the series, best everything. It just is good. Yeah. They capture everything that the series was going for all in this installment and then never again. Even though it's called the final chapter, it does seem like some people were vaguely aware that Paramount was probably going to push for more. Yeah. It just seemed like they couldn't resist the financial success of these. Such minimal risk to get another 30 to 40 million in profit and everything. I don't know. There's not really much to say about the final chapter other than they introduce a whole different dynamic with a family being at the center. You have Mrs. Jarvis. Yeah. Corey Feldman and and his older sister played by Kimberly Beck. I know this sounds crazy, but even having Corey Feldman in it seems to give it some level of legitimacy. (laughs) (laughs) Which the opposite would happen if it was a 2021 movie, but a 1984 movie, you're like, oh yeah, right, Gremlins, Goonies. (laughs) Stand by me. Yeah, exactly. Which brings us to 1985. Turns out for wasn't exactly the final chapter yeah it's always a good sign when there's more movies after (laughs) your final chapter than there were before but that's the way it goes friday the 13th a new beginning was directed by danny steinman it was the most controversial entry up until this point for sure because honestly spoilers there is no jason in this movie that's right there's only someone pretending to be jason i was telling you before we recorded this that on my overall rankings i I had this one in a decent spot it's not towards the bottom but i think going through this all in a relatively short amount of time this is the one that i remember the details of the least i don't know if i would feel the same way but i kind of know what you mean it just it does reach a point when you're watching all of these in a short amount of time where they sort of blur together yeah One of the reasons might be that the kills in this are not particularly memorable, and the conclusion is sort of disappointing, especially when you find out who's pretending to be Jason. It's just like that random paramedic guy who no-sells the fact that his son is murdered at the beginning of the movie. It's a completely insane story. It doesn't really make any sense. And this one was one of the first-time views for me, so I've still only seen this one once. It's odd that the home for troubled youth that Tommy Jarvis ends up at just happens to be in the same vicinity as Camp Crystal Lake. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, they don't really specify where you are. You just sort of assume. But Jason's not in it anyway. Yeah. Corey Feldman appears in the opening scene, which is a pretty good scene, although it's not the best graveyard opening scene. That'll be in the next entry. Absolutely. But it's pretty decent. But then he ages up rapidly, so now even like more time is going by. Yeah. I think if we want to rewind for a second, the only time where there's not like an, a noticeable jump in time really is three to four, because the events of four pick up right at the end of three. The idea of Tommy Jarvis carrying on that character, the Corey Feldman character from four, carries on through multiple movies. I don't know if there's anything 
that I've cared about less than that. It's just not well. The really... end of the final chapter was supposed to signify, you know, when he goes crazy right. in the hospital. He's supposed to like pick up the mantle, and there was like a whole different direction that they wanted to go in that they tease. Yes, even in a new beginning, but they end up going a different way, which has a Halloween four feeling too. Yeah, because they're sort of like, well, is Tommy Jarvis the one pretending to be Jason? It's like no, but then at the end of a new beginning, they tease it again. That yeah, he I might know. Turn. Right. And then in six, they forget that altogether. Like yeah. the end of five never even happened. Because I do think that when they go to do Jason Lives, which is the next entry, they decided to almost just forget about right. this one because the fan reaction to a new beginning was not positive. People yes. were not happy that there was no Jason. Ultimately, Corey Feldman, who claims to have helped plan out this Tommy Jarvis storyline couldn't do it because Spielberg wanted him to be in the Goonies he seemed actually disappointed in Crystal Lake memories to have to do the Goonies instead of (laughs) Friday the 13th part five one of the things he's like most well remembered for but yeah the timelines are so out of control at this point but that's sort of the fun about these movies is they don't give a shit absolutely they're like whatever yeah (laughs) (laughs) we know what you want and you'll get it so shut up 1986 brought us Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, directed by Tom McLaughlin. I think that the further I get away from this one, the more I feel like I liked it. (laughs) And I actually had seen this one when I was younger, and I loved the opening scene. I have like such a vivid memory of that opening scene from seeing this on TV. It's definitely the best opening scene of the franchise yeah. it is so unbelievable that you're just like this is insane and i, I love feel it. like my space away from it is like making me like hype this one up in a way that i didn't like it that much i can remember not liking the rest of the movie that much but for some reason this time away from it now i'm starting to look back with rose-colored glasses on this one i definitely think jason lives is considered one of the better entries right up there with the final chapter although for me personally i don't necessarily feel that way i have my complaints about it yeah but the opening sequence is cool because it harkens back to classic universal monster type movies where jason's being resurrected by lightning hitting a rod that they're stabbing him with and he punches through rorschach's chest coming out on the other side with holding his heart it looks awesome Originally, it was going to be titled Jason Has Risen. It's like, dude, come on. Jason, Jason Lives, lives is sitting right there. Jason Lives is like the best title. Well, they wanted everyone to know Jason was going to be back because they were afraid that people were going to be disappointed. And the box office did dip yeah. with this one because it, they were disappointed with five. It's actually kind of exciting <laughs> that he's coming back. The fact that he's not the killer for a movie. It's almost like a... A moment to cheer that he's coming well back. halloween had to do the same thing with the return of michael myers that's right except there was a much longer gap between halloween 3 and halloween 4 oh yeah they were just churning these out this was definitely like the saw or paranormal activity of its day where it's right. like well we're doing this every year basically oh yeah yeah this is our third actor playing tommy jarvis but i absolutely love right after the opening scene where they do the title sequence for friday the 13th comes up and they do a james bond thing with Jason, where he's like walking sideways and then turns towards the screen, like throws his machete or yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, these movies are definitely not taking themselves seriously. Yeah. And this movie gets a lot of credit for being meta and self-referential and self-aware. And Kevin Williamson has cited it as a influence in writing Scream and that sort of new version of horror, which is like very self-aware. Right. I don't think this one necessarily ascends to that level of 
humor and quality, sure. but there definitely are jokes in yeah. it intentionally. And I'm talking about this one. Like, I absolutely love it, and it's great. It's not in, like, my top three or anything, but I don't know. There are parts of it that I absolutely love. My biggest complaint is there's too much daylight at the beginning. Yeah. I don't need to see Jason killing paintballers it, in it, the day. It becomes kind of forgettable at a certain point. And I don't know the girl's name. I'm sorry. I don't know her character name or the actress. But the main girl, the cop's daughter, is sort of forgettable. The characters in this are not great. That's true, yes. This is the only one, though, where you see actual little kid campers at a camp. Oh, that's true. And you do yeah. think, like, are, is he going to kill the kids? Right. Like, what's, that's weird. And the kids are making jokes, which I thought was, like, insane. <laughs> They're like... What did you want to be when you grew up, or something like that? Like they're actually cracking jokes to each other. What hot American summer? <laughs> so two years later, we have what I consider to be maybe the most underrated of the series, and one that I can't quite decide how I feel about it. And that would be Part Seven: The New Blood. That's right. Directed Finally, by John Carl Beckler or Buchler. They level the playing field a little bit and give Jason a worthy adversary. This is the one you've been waiting for. What's happening to me? Your psychokinesis and these delusions are... No, you're not listening to me! The one you've been asking for. Hey, (laughs) Tina, isn't this the way they wear their jackets back in the mental hospital? (laughs) Concentrate. Concentrate, Tina! The one you've been dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me! Jason is back. But this time, someone is waiting. As early as 1988, with the massive success of A Nightmare on Elm Street, this is the first inkling of wanting to do Freddy vs. Jason. Unfortunately, Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger were owned by two different studios, making it very difficult. Yeah, that's a tough bridge to cross. So they came up with the next best thing, and this movie was originally titled Jason's Destroyer, which is a terrible title and yet way more accurate than The New Blood, which I don't even understand. But what they were going for is Jason versus Carrie. They don't even hide that in the documentaries now. They're like, that's basically what we wanted and what we were doing. The New Blood is really just to signify that we've moved on from the Tommy Jarvis Probably, yeah. Like, that's over. Yeah. So we have a young girl... Blonde teenager type playing a telekinetic powered <laughs> That's right, woman. Yes. Carrie versus Jason. Who also has visions of Jason's kills and stuff like that. That's right. They definitely were trying to come up with an adversary for Jason. This is the first time that Kane Hodder would play Jason. He's very good at expressing emotion and, and reactions, even though he's wearing a lot of 
weird shit because Jason's mask does come off in this one for like the last 10 to 15% of the movie. So he's got that like fucked up weird face. Yes. But he's still able to sort of like react and stuff with it on. The doctor that's with the young telepath, that's Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Oh, shit. I think that the movie's kind of fun. I like the cast. I'm not entirely sure. Like what? It's sort of like four where you're like, there's one story going on here in this house, but then there's just a random house of kids that show up. Is it great? No. But fun new wrinkle to have someone fight back with him. Yeah. You know? I think it was sort of the right move to do it this time. I appreciate the effort much more than I do the next entry, yeah. which is to take it out of Crystal Lake altogether and not really do much with it. Right. At this point, you're seven movies into this thing. I, I don't know what you expect anymore. You know. <laughs> yeah. We have some skinny dipping in this one. Oh, yes. Welcome. He ends up at the bottom of the lake. Yes. Where he'll get resurrected. He was there before, and I now he ends up there again. How late into the series? They were still trying to fit into the revivals where we last left off with him. I thought that they would more just be like, Jason just shows back up. That's the one continuity thing they kind of keep going. Yeah, it's like, well, he always just picks up where he what last was. That's right. They're very committed to like, well, the last time we saw him, he had a chain around him. He was at the bottom of Crystal Lake, and we need a way to like bring him back from that. Yeah. That's the one carryover. That's right. Not characters, yes. not directors, <laughs> yeah. not the way he looks. <laughs> yeah, I realized Everything. that at a certain point, like figuring out the Jason revival was an important part of any given installment. For some reason. Yeah, I don't know why that was a focus. But I guess they thought that would be was. cool to see rather than just have him burst through a door. And yeah, yeah. Go, there right. he is. I don't know. In 1989, Jason finally leaves Camp Crystal Lake, when we have Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, directed by Rob Hedder. A great idea. Mm. (laughs) It's an okay idea, but the execution is even worse. Yeah. Gets a job on Wall Street. I will say, though, the marketing campaign for this movie is awesome. Yeah. If you can find the original trailer where they are playing New York, New York, and then it like you yeah. think it's some like romantic comedy, it's scrolling through right. 80s New York City, and then all of a sudden like Jason's standing there on the edge of the water, like looking up at the yeah Statue of Liberty or something, and then you're just like, this is a Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> like what the fuck? And I... then they have the I Heart New York poster where yeah, he's yeah. like cutting through it, that's right, which was controversial, and like New York tourism board was like flipping out about it's it like a whole thing. The marketing was cool. I, I believe it. I love the opening credits of it, too. I love all these like shots of 80s New York City. But then you realize when you actually watch the movie that it's more like Jason, Jason takes, takes Manhattan for like five <laughs> seconds. Yeah, but Jason takes a cruise yeah. on a shitty boat for most of the movie. Right. And it was mostly shot in Vancouver. They didn't really have the budget to do much in New York. I consider this to be a huge step down. Yeah. From the first seven, which, hey, if you can do seven that are pretty consistent, not great, but just consistent, right? that's something. I think so. I think the eighth one goes so far off the rails. The ending is ludicrous, where he turns back into a little boy. Yeah. Whatever. But, and I think you'll agree with me, Jason standing in 80s Times Square for those few shots is so fucking cool looking. It's almost worth the movie around it. I think so. It it might be the coolest shots of the whole series yeah because it's like in a way camp crystal lake seems like this imaginary place right it's supposed to be in new jersey but you don't really ever know that it's just whatever 
it's fantasy land for these Friday the 13th movies. But you put him in like a real place where it doesn't really feel like a movie. He's just sort of standing there. I know. Out of place. And people are like sort of reacting to him. It feels almost like he's just shown up in reality somehow. It's very cool looking. It's iconic in a terrible movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think the movie sucks and it's hard to get through. Yeah. I do like a couple of the kills, but the characters are annoying. Yeah, the characters really stink in this one. They're bland. They're forgettable. It's just not great. It's worth checking out just to see that stuff in Times Square. That's like very cool looking. It's another one of these ones where you're like, why isn't it that the girl from the last movie is in this Well, here we go. Yeah. Okay. My idea for what they should have attempted for 1989's eighth installment, take... All of the surviving final girls, Amy Steele from two, Dana Kimmel from three, Kimberly Beck from four, I would skip over five and six, take Lar Park Lincoln, the Carrie girl from seven. That's right. So you basically have those four. If you want, you could even write in that Alice's death in part two, the final girl from one, was a dream or a nightmare that she had. Bring her back. That'll get the biggest pop from the audience, getting yeah. the original one back. Have them come together to fight Jason as like a survivor's group or something. They're in some sort of like a support group for trauma. They get involved with it. The group was formed specifically for people that Jason tried yeah. to kill. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but yeah. you bring in all the surviving final girls. You have them fight Jason together. You got yourself an unforgettable installment that really stands out. That's like the Expendables version of... Jason. Yeah, I think even the ones that had turned it down originally, the idea of coming back, realized yeah. that maybe their careers weren't, you know, they weren't lighting the world on fire, so yeah. they're willing to come back now. I'd love to know how many of the final girls had an attempt to return to the next movie and turned it down. I'm 100% positive Amy Steele turned three down. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Dana Kimmel from three also turned down four, maybe? I'm not what sure. What about the girl from Final Chapter? Kimberly Beck? Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. I think that at that point they were content with reinventing it every time. That's right. Okay. But I think Amy Steele specifically turned it down because the script that she was given for part three was stupid. Right. Where she would have to be like in an institution or something. Yeah. You know, something completely different than what we ever saw. She's like, I see my career going in a different direction than this. She was in April Fool's Day. That's right. Yeah, but th- I just think that would be cool. I wouldn't mind that even as, the, you know, they're all in their 60s now, maybe even... Well, that would be like the new Halloween. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. even mind that to be the, right. the 13th edition now. I don't know if you could sell that now. I think you would ne- you would need, like, young people to be in it to Probably, get that going. to but get the appeal, yeah. I don't know. In 1989, though, we're talking, like, what, 30-something years ago. I think you could have pulled this together with those girls but now you know that that dream's over and they went to manhattan instead right (laughs) which pretty much closed the book on friday the 13th because paramount retained the rights to that title but ultimately allowed sean s cunningham the director of the first one one of the creators of the series to come back in and take ownership of the character jason which is why the next couple of entries in the series do not have the phrase friday the 13th in the title it's weird though you get to keep jason but it's like i I guess what about the fictional camp crystal lake i mean is that not part of the friday the 13th can i think they just wanted the title because it was also a tv series in the 80s which really didn't have anything to do with the movies 
Was it a horror series? Yeah, it was okay. like a, a, an anthology horror show in oh, the Oh, gotcha. 80s. I think it's yeah. available on DVD or probably streaming somewhere now. I've never watched it, but I think it sort of had like a more grown-up Are You Afraid of the Dark feel to it. Well, I do like that. I'm, assuming I'm sure it looks very good. hokey now. Yeah, right. The effects and stuff. I'm sure the budget was like next to nothing. It was like a syndicated show. Yeah. Sort of like Mama's Family. Right. <laughs> You know, a show that I, I like to reference that oh, yeah. no one knows about any, <laughs> anymore. So what they did was they made a film called Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday in 1993. So that was a four-year gap, which was to that point the longest gap in years. It was directed by a, a guy named Adam Marcus. This movie sucks shit. I fucking hate it. Yeah, I had never seen this one. I wasn't as down on it as you are. I don't think it's good at all. I'm never going to be in a hurry to revisit this it wasn't my least favorite but it was damn close but i still had some level of interest in it just never seeing it before the idea is unoriginal there was a movie in the 80s called the hidden okay which actually has kyle mclaughlin in it the exact same plot it's like this alien thing that makes you evil that it looks like a thing you know that goes from person to person it's exactly what happens in this right i do like the sting operation i love that because it's a funny idea yeah the idea that they have the special agent hot chick that like showering or yeah, let's go to, to a cabin, let's lure Jason, yeah. and then they kill Jason at the very beginning of the movie, and then his evil transfers from person to person. It's sort of like part five in that Jason is not much of a factor in the film; he's more of a concept. All I can really say about it, aside from the sting operation opening, is that the Freddy Krueger tease at the very end of the film. Yeah. Is cool and would have gotten me excited even if I had gone to the theater and sat through this garbage. Yeah, yeah. I would have been like, okay, so now they have something cool planned. Although it would take almost another 10 years to get that off the ground for some reason. Because now they're both with New Line. And so you're thinking, this is right around the corner. This is like going to happen. (laughs) Right. But again, scripts and bullshit. And they just like could not get it together for like 10 more years almost. I know. I don't know. Is there anything else to say about Jason Goes to Hell? Not really. The most memorable part for me is the opening sequence. So once you hit on that. Yeah, I don't love it. There's like actually some pretty violent shit in it and some graphic stuff that some of the other movies did, couldn't really get away with, but it doesn't save it from being a total dud in my opinion. Yeah. That is one thing you learn in the documentary is how often on every single one of these they had oh, to I make know. cuts to different things. It was always violence too. I believe it. You got to cut this. You got to cut that. It actually fucked over a few of the movies where I think it definitely hurt them. Which is weird because so much of the violence in these movies is so cartoony and dumb. Yeah, the one that's really troubling is in the final chapter where that you don't even see it. And that guy's like, he's killing me. He's yeah, right. Kill- yeah. Because that sounds like you're like, oh, my God, it's like traumatizing. <laughs> That's why the final chapter is great. It's got all kinds of weird shit in yeah, it. Yeah, for where sure. You're just like, this is interesting. Like, what's going on here? Which brings us to your least favorite, I believe. That's right. Yes. Jason X, which this... came out in the year 2001, directed by James Isaac. Now, I had seen this one before. I can remember, like, renting it on DVD and having some fun with it back in high school or whatever. But going through this all recently, this was the one that I just could not wait for it to be over. It just felt like it goes on forever, even though it is like an hour and a half, like most of them. 
but it just felt like it it would not end, and I couldn't wait for it to. It end. has a real made for Sci Fi Channel vibe. To Absolutely, it. the special effects are horrendous. He kind of turns into like a super shredder version of Jason. Yeah, it takes place way in the future. It's dumb. I don't know what to say. It's got the best kill in the franchise, though, in yeah. my opinion. And the practical effects of that kill look awesome. Yeah, he puts the girl's face in some sort of like liquid nitrogen or something yeah. and freezes it and then smashes it on the counter. Right. And her head is just like gone in yes. chunks, like frozen <laughs> chunks. It looks really cool. Yeah, that part's well done. The guy who directed it, James Isaac, unfortunately has passed away, but he was his mentor was David Cronenberg, who he had worked with as like an assistant and all this stuff. So Cronenberg appears in the film. I know, that is weird. As an actor, and his one condition of doing it was, like, I have to be killed in it. Yeah. And he is. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This movie actually sat on the shelf for, like, 18 months, so you can sort of understand that they weren't thrilled to even put this out there. That's right. Yeah, you can tell. Yes. And I think by this point, the box office numbers were definitely slumping big time, and so they needed a little shot in the arm. And so what happened was they got it. They got it in the form of the face-off that they had been waiting for since the late 80s. Freddy vs. Jason, which comes out in 2003, directed by Ronnie Yu. It's a pretty cool cast. It has my girl Catherine Isabel from Ginger That's Snaps right, in it. Yeah. has Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child in it <laughs> for <laughs> some reason. Shocking, yeah. One of the more interesting things was they replaced Kane Hodder. And Kane Hodder had been an advocate of doing Freddy vs. Jason for like 10 years. And oh, it, wow. it, I, Yeah, he was... You could tell he was still pissed and depressed about it on Crystal Lake Memories, which was a decade after Freddy vs. Jason, where he was just like, well, I don't know. I saw the movie. I felt like I could have done anything they did in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know why. Like, the studio was just like, we want a different guy. Right. Like, what difference does it make who Uh, plays Jason? I like Freddy vs. Jason in the sense that you don't have to take it seriously. It's got some fun yeah. connections to Dream Warriors, the third Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It kind of feels like the other teen horror movies from that era, although yes. a little bit blended with Scream, but also kind of feels like Scary Movie, like the parody movie. Yeah, it does yeah. lean into the goofiness a lot. I wouldn't say it's even remotely scary or anything like that. No, and it is fun. Some of the CGI in it is just so terrible. Yeah, that's definitely true. When I was alive, I might have been a little body. But after they killed me, I became something much, much worse. The stuff nightmares are made of. The children still feared me. And their fear gave me the power to invade their dreams. And that's when the fun really began. Until they figured out a way to forget about me. To erase completely. Being dead wasn't a problem, but being forgotten. Now that's a bitch. It does have a continuation of the version of Freddy that I don't particularly love, which is the wisecracking, right. joking. Yeah. That's a bitch. <laughs> like that kind of Freddy. You're just like, oh God. Joking to just no laughs yeah i like freddy from like part one yeah of a nightmare on the street i don't really need like him on a surfboard putting sunglasses on which he does like in part four and Uh, shit like you're just like oh my god but it's cool the story is actually great it's a great idea freddy is basically in hell 
He's like, how am I going to get out? Right. I'm going to use Jason to kill these teenagers on Elm Street in my old house, the one Nancy grew up in. Yeah. From the first night on Elm Street. And I'm going to use Jason as my avatar to get back into the minds of people. Right. They found a good way to tie it together. And I liked how they work back the angle where like the parents covered this all up. Some of the dudes that are yeah. in the psych ward or whatever who actually really did experience this. Yeah, it's almost as if like the kid's parents figured out that like if we just suppress the idea of Freddy, he, like he'll disappear. Right. Which is sort of the idea is like they forgot about me, so I have no power. Yeah, yeah. Which sort of is in line with the first movie, the original movie. Yes. Betsy Palmer said no to reprising her role as Jason's mother. She was very much alive in 2003. Oh, wow. She's no longer with us now. Although she was in Crystal Lake Memories, so that's 2013. Okay, yeah. I think she's only recently passed a few years ago. I just assumed uh, she just that was, was like, her. Oh, no. It, in, it's not. In Freddy vs. Jason? Yeah, yeah. No, I no, just no. It's, it it's a different okay. one. And it was a massive success. It was a huge box office winner for, especially Friday the 13th, which you know hadn't really been doing that great as of late. Yeah. People were excited for it. I can remember. I was in high school. This is the know. first one of these movies I saw in the theater. Same. Out of this list. Yeah. It would be funny if I was like, no, actually, I saw Jason Takes Manhattan when I was five. (laughs) (laughs) They had a lot of sequel ideas. At one point, they were considering other horror icons to throw into the mix. Can you remember being a kid at all and somebody like telling you about the Friday the 13th movies? As a kid, I can remember like, I don't know, being like first or second grade or whatever. Like there's like the one kid whose parents let him watch like rated R movies all the time. Yeah. Like telling you about this. Of course, it's like, the nudity, but also like the killing and stuff. It seems so scary. I don't remember anyone telling me specifically about these movies. Okay. I just remember probably commercials for like the marathons yeah. when Friday the 13th would come around. And I did have a friend in elementary school or middle school or something like that who definitely loved to watch them, but like the TV ones when right, they were right. on for yeah. the marathons. But it's just so funny. Like I can probably get myself like so worked up over the thought of some of this stuff. And I the, was like that with the Night Run Elm Street. Yeah. It just seemed so upsetting and oh, yeah. disturbing well, looking. I, I think I talked about this before, but the Johnny Depp bed scene yeah, just horrifying for me for many years. They were tossing around different people. At one point, it was going to be Freddy versus Jason versus Ash from the Evil Dead movies. Wow, that would have been fun. Although, I don't know if Ash had that same level of recognizability. Yeah, that might have been only in the horror bubble. I don't know if the mainstream name recognition, I I'm not sure. But I think they probably at that time, because of H2O, like Halloween was probably off right. limits at yes. that point. They weren't going to do Michael Myers because H2O was a success. And they're like, well, we got something else going on. I, I think maybe Pinhead from Hellraiser was discussed. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. I it think never panned right. out and they never yeah. did a sequel. End of story. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fine. I think they ended up doing the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash as like a graphic novel series or something like that. Okay. Which is its own little weird industry because they did sequels to Jason X as graphic novels. Like people buy this shit. I don't know. Bizarre. And so that would be it until 2009. Six years later, Michael Bay's company, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but Platinum Dunes. Okay. Well, yeah. They were doing a lot of horror remakes in the early 2000s, something that they actually stopped doing at a certain point. But they had a massive success with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is actually, like you said, a great remake. It is, yeah. They got the same director to do the Friday the 13th remake, 
which is not an actual remake of the 1980 film. No. Which is why it's great. There are things about it that are terrible, too. But one of the things they got right is that it basically works as a sequel reboot condensing parts one through four. There are elements of the final chapter in this, too, with the brother looking for the lost sister. He does the uh, switch from the sack to the hockey mask in this. They were like, well, we can't remake the idea of Mrs. Voorhees killing people. That doesn't. It won't, that's won't, not going to work. Right, yeah. A, people want Jason, and B, everyone already knows that story. It's not yeah, going to work not as a, a remake. Right. I think it's pretty solid. They have one of the longer preambles to a movie ever, where they have one set of kids go out camping, and then they get attacked, mostly I all killed. I do like that. It's fun that they introduce a group of characters and then they're all killed and then you're like well oh. they do the double thing because right. they're like yeah. first the credits are like the story of mrs Voorhees. yes very briefly and then you have the first group of kids most of them get killed except for the chick that was on the oc that's right <laughs> not rachel bilson or misha barton but just what was her character name wasn't she like kirsten's sister or something yeah yeah i can't remember now and it's so me they all get killed, and so then we have a new group of kids, which involves like Danielle Panabaker and Willa Ford. Yeah, which is just shocking that her name appears in the credits. <laughs> like, former semi-pop star, one-hit wonder, Willa Ford. Yeah, and then we go through the whole thing with them slowly getting killed by Jason. Right. There's not really anything that great about it. I think the ending drags on way too long. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, I don't care anymore. It is this weird mix. There's parts of it that feel like almost replicant of that Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Dark, serious Serious. vibe. Yeah. But then there's parts of it that are like really goofy and they're having fun with it. Your tits are stupendous. (laughs) Best line of the movie. The sex scene is off the charts. Unbelievable. It's the best in the series, hands down. There's definitely like a level of quality to the overall movie. It's way better than Freddy vs. Jason in that sense in terms of like the level of quality to the filmmaking. Oh, yeah. It feels like a real movie. I think in my Letterboxd review, I said it's better than a Nightmare on Elm Street remake with Rooney Mara. Yeah, I'd agree. But it's not as good as Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel. Absolutely. It's like somewhere in between. Yeah, there. yeah. It's definitely not as dull as a Nightmare on Elm Street where you're just like, pulling your hair out you're like oh my god right it's so boring but it doesn't quite have that like life of that texas chainsaw remake which is like we said pretty good yeah so now we've entered the longest gap that was the 12th movie in the franchise i'm sure they originally were thinking like we're gonna do more right off the heels of that right and it did good money the box office was strong but I think fan reaction was pretty negative. I think the tone missed. I think people yeah. like the tone of four, five, six, seven. That's what they want. Goofy, but straightforward. There's That's not right. a lot of sadness. I know that people get murdered, but they're talking about the two characters' mom dying having of cancer. cancer. This is this yeah. whole thing. And like it it is kind of weird too that Jason even keeps this girl alive as like a captive. Because apparently she looked like his mother in yeah, some old, right. younger picture of his mother or something. Yeah, I don't know. I just think they got the tone wrong for the diehards, and it, there was sort of a backlash against it, even though it did well. And it sort of killed any momentum for a sequel. But that backfired in everyone's faces if they wanted more, because we've never gotten it. And now it seems like the rights issues are all tied up, and 
it's taken forever to figure out because by this point i'm sure that it's been explored by blumhouse and some think. other places yeah i mean they're gonna fucking do the exorcist everything's being revived Granted, they haven't done a Nightmare on Elm Street yet, but maybe the stink of that last one is sort of hard to shake. Yeah. I hope they get it together just because how could you not have the 13th one of these? It seems crazy. Just call it 13th. <laughs> Bring back some of the surviving final girls. I mean, it's you still have time. I know. As long as they're still breathing, you have time. Just do it. <laughs> They've got to be younger than Jamie Lee Curtis, most of them. Yeah. I'm sure several are available for work. <laughs> I think they're all available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, and this was almost 10 years ago that Crystal Lake Memories came out. But yeah, they're all asked about, like, would they come back now? And they're all like, yeah. Absolutely. That's like a part of it. They're, they're like, well, script dependent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off for only, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's do our ranking. How do you want to do it? We'll just go one at a time, starting at the worst. Okay. I have Jason Goes to Hell as number 12, okay. the worst. You know which one mine is, Jason X. Yeah. Well, I had Jason X as number 11. And you won't be surprised that Jason Goes to Hell is my number 11. Yeah, I'm not going to get into a whole argument about that. Those yeah. are far and away the worst, in my opinion. Yep. They are an extra step down even from the next one. Like They are basement-level garbage. It almost makes you wish that... If Paramount wasn't interested in doing them anymore, they would have just sat on the character until it was time to do remakes. Really? Don't give them Jason to do these things. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Number 10, I have Jason Takes Manhattan. We're aligned here. Number 9, I have Freddy versus Jason. I actually have New Blood. Oof. Yeah. Well, I have the New Blood number 8. <laughs> I have Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> Some okay, of these are kind of interchangeable, Yeah, I we're guess. not really uh, shaking up anything too much here number seven i have the 2009 remake so do i (laughs) number six i think there's going to be some divergence here i think so number six i have part three i have a new beginning in number six i have a new beginning at number five okay i have jason lives i have jason lives at number four i have part two in number four for me Number eight through number four are all sort of interchangeable. I'm tempted to shuffle the order a little bit. That includes The New Blood, 2009, Part 3, A New Beginning, and Jason Lives. Jason Lives, I don't know. I might have that a little too high. I, I don't know. I might have The New Blood too low. Like that, Those are all interchangeable for me. Yeah. My top three is pretty much locked in. Okay. So where are you at? You You said number four was what? I had Part 2. Part 2. For number three, I had the 1980 original. Okay. I have part three here. Wow, you have the original high. Yeah. All right. Number two, I have part two. I have the original here. And then I think we both have the same number one. Yep. Far and away, the best entry. The final chapter. That's right. Yeah. It's just the coolest movie out of the whole series. I mean, you kind of opened my eyes to that, but... Going through it, them all, it's pretty clear. It's just got everything you could possibly want. It's got great characters. It's got weird moments, funny moments. It's got brutal kills, weird kills. It's got the cool atmosphere of the older movies, but feels more well-made than all the other older movies. Yeah, I just think it was like the perfect coming together yeah. of a lot of stuff. Yeah, the original, there are parts that are like super lame, but I, I actually love 
the first opening part of the original movie like when they're first in town and everything i think it's got a lot of cool like establishing shots <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean i have it at number three it's not like i i hate it i just think that they they topped it with part two and the final chapter yeah but yeah i think there's like several layers like my top three i have on one layer then there's like a step down up through the new blood and then there's like a step down to freddy versus jason in manhattan and then there's like several steps down yeah. to Jason X and Jason goes to hell. I would say I feel happy with the movies that are in my top five, I think are definitely my top five. And then six through to 10 for me. I mean, well, I have Jason takes Manhattan at 10. It's hard to see that one moving up. Although there's parts of Jason takes Manhattan that I do. Kind I of will vibe say with. this. I think I only gave it like one star or one and a half or something, but it's not as bad as I remembered. Yeah. On my most recent rewatch, it was actually a little bit better than I thought it was. Right. I still didn't think it was good, <laughs> but there are like a couple of cool kills, and, and it stuff is kind it. of fun. There's like that weird part where that chick was like seducing her teacher on a yeah, boat, right? You're exactly. Like, what is happening now? But what that's movie am a I whole watching? sting operation too. Yeah. They have somebody come in with the camera. It's it's a weird movie. Yeah. There's like a V guitar that gets used as a weapon. That's and- right. He kills the one girl on the disco floor by slamming her up against the ceiling. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very weird. Okay, folks. A jumbo size. Give us a second to talk about Friday the 13th. We are rolling through Greatest October. Find us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Please follow us. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review, if you can, on Apple Podcasts, if you'd like a sticker, let us know. Follow Matt and myself on Letterboxd. I'm at Zach1983. Matt is at Matt Crosby. Yeah, tweet the show your uh, rankings. Yeah, if you're into this series, if you'd like to hear us cover more horror series, I think it's very possible that next year's October we do another franchise like this. I hope so. Where we go through the whole thing. Maybe we'll discuss that off mic. But thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You're with your baby in your park alone on a summer night. You're deep in love, but you're deeper in the woods. You think you're doing all right. Did you hear that voice? Did you see that face? Or was it just a dream? This can't be.
Yeah, this isn't over yet. We're not giving up on Darren. Yeah. Come on, yeah.